Welcome to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Well, everyone, this is a really exciting episode of the podcast. We have a, a real martial arts legend here with us today. It's Grandmaster John G. Worley, and he's joining us from just outside of Minneapolis. He's a 10th degree black belt. He's one of the first students to earn a black belt under Grandmaster Jun Rhee. He's one of the founders of National Karate, which has schools spanning Florida, Colorado, Illinois, and Minnesota. He's been a martial artist for the past 60 years and really can't believe we have him on the program. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Welcome, Grandmaster Worley. Well, thank you for that very generous uh, introduction, Mark. It's my pleasure to be here, my honor to be here. And uh, I'm just, uh, I hope that we can maybe share some information that, that, that folks might find interesting. Great. Well, let's start with your background. You, you grew up in Texas? I did, yeah. I was uh, from Fort Worth, Texas, that area, uh, the suburb. And um, I started my training uh, in 1967. And as a result of my younger brother, Pat, who people I'm, I'm, uh, maybe have heard of, he's, just, he's quite a legend. Uh, and, and he was uh, an 18-year-old high school senior. I, I'm five years uh, older than him, and I'd always been active in athletics as I, uh, throughout high school, but then I wasn't you know, big enough or, or fast enough or strong enough or good enough to pursue sports beyond the high school level. So I'd kind of let myself get out of shape, and I was married and, and was soon to have a, a, a daughter, and I was just trying to kind of you know, make it through life in the early stages there. And he just started taking karate lessons at a place called the Worth Health Studio in Fort Worth, kind of a hole-in-the-wall karate school. It was in a little health club, but it, it, the health club wasn't like you would think of in today's facilities and today's modern, you know, full-service kind of place. This was just, this had, this had some barbells laying around and a couple of racks and there's some weight benches, and it had a small room in the, in the back where the karate classes were conducted. And that's where Pat was taking his classes, and that's where I started. What do you remember about how there was even a hole in the wall karate school back then? Where did where did it well, come from? Who was teaching? Uh, well, Pat Pat discovered it, and I don't recall now exactly how he he managed to find it. He was a I think a green belt when I started, but uh, we were taking classes. It was owned by Pat Burleson, uh, who you know who passed away past this past year, but who was a real pioneer. He was uh, the first national karate champion in, uh, in tournament karate, and he had started a school in Fort Worth. Alan Steen has started schools over in Dallas, and Alan Steen was June Rees the first black belt promotion in the state of Texas. Grandmaster Rees came to, to Texas following uh, his service in the military, and he came over as an exchange student following the Korean War, and he uh, started a club at, at the college where he was uh, where he was going to school. And Alan Steen was one of his first students. Alan Steen went on to be promoted to black belt, came back up to Dallas where he was from originally, and started his uh, martial art business in Dallas. Pat Burleson was in the military until he got out of the military and back into Fort Worth, and he and Alan Steen kind of hooked up, and they became good friends and training partners and uh, they were just they, they really started everything in texas right and so you, you your brother and yourself earned black belts through that school initially we did yeah we did chuck lovin was our instructor and he was he was a, a pat burleson student a real hardcore 
<laughs> kind of a, a guy. He uh, he wasn't a guy that but paid a lot of attention to you know things like classical basics uh, and training, and uh, and the way you kind of started learning from from him. All they liked to do was fight, really. <laughs> and so, uh, we, when I first started training, I, I didn't, you know, there was guys were out there doing, he, he would have them take them up and down the floor doing, you know, you know, basic uh, classical right, low block, you know, lunge punch, that sort of thing. And uh, I would say, he'd just say, well, watch the guy in front of you and just do what he does. And so that's kind of how, that's kind of how you, you learned your basics and that sort of thing. Uh, that In that school, uh, the emphasis was all on, on sparring and fighting and self-defense. Very little training went into form. Matter of fact, Chuck would say, now you boys work on that form stuff at home because I don't really have time for that in the class here, you know. So <laughs> so we were kind of on our own. I, I consider that when I got to Washington, D.C. in 1970, that's really when my classical karate training began was when I got with under Jun Ri's uh, direction. Uh, because he put a heavy emphasis, a great emphasis on, on all of that sort of training. And so I, that's kind of where I felt like my martial art training began. I, I could fight a little bit when I got to Washington, but I really had a very poor background in martial art classical training. So did you essentially start over as a white belt at that No, point? no. No, actually, uh, Pat and I both went to Washington, D.C. as black belts. We had been promoted to black belt. Uh, actually, uh, we took our exam for black belt. We were part of a brown belt all-star team, a sparring team, that went out to California. And we fought against a, a team of all-star Californians. Uh, it was at a tournament organized by uh, Chuck Norris and Mike Stone. And this was a team they put together. And that was the main event of the tournament was the uh, the team competition between California All-Stars and Texas All-Stars. And I actually, I was on, an alternate on the team. The, the, the guys who were, the five guys who were on the team were better than I and more successful tournament fighters. But I had enough success that they said, well, if somebody gets hurt, then, you know, we'll put Johnny on the team. So I went out there with him. And, and, and as part of the deal, if you were eligible for Black Belt, uh, you could take the exam uh, at one of Chuck Norris's schools. He had a school in Redondo Beach, California. Pat and I and um, a guy named Bill Watson were all three eligible to test for black belt. So we took our exam at, at the uh, Redondo Beach school with um, Master Steen and Chuck Norris and Mike Stone and Skipper Mullins and a couple of other fellows who uh, people may have heard of, you know, Joe Lewis. Absolutely. They were all yeah, they were all in the you know sitting there watching us, and and unlike today, you know, when our students test for black belt, they obviously have a, a very strict curriculum, and everybody trains and gets prepared for the black belt exam, knowing exactly what they're going to be asked to do and that sort of thing. For us, we we had no idea what what we were going to be asked to do, and so we just they would take turns, just saying, okay, uh, let me see you uh, do a, a jump front kick, uh, uh, punch, uh, spin hook kick, go. <laughs> and that's what we did we didn't know how long it was going to last we didn't know anything about what we were going to be asked to do and so we just had to go out there and go as hard as we could and hoping that we had enough energy to make it through the exam uh, so, that, so that was our that was our black belt test and then the fighting part of the exam was going to be the next day at the tournament when we fought the California team and so, you know, the next day we had the main event there and, and all five of our guys uh, fought the, the California team. They had a really 
really good good team as well. And it came right down to the wire, and the Texas guys won by, I think, one or two points uh, at the end of the event. I did not – I wasn't asked to fight because none of the, our guys got hurt. So afterwards, I, I went over to Mr. Steen. I said, Mr. Steen, I have not – I had, didn't do my fighting requirement for, for, for the test. And he went, oh, yeah, that's right. So then he said, oh, wait a minute. Okay, guys. So anyway, he lined up <laughs> he lined up the five guys on our team and I just had to fight them one after the other. <laughs> and so uh, that was a pretty exhausting and humbling experience for me. But I got through it and they said, Okay, yeah, you guys are black belts. Was it continuous sparring or, or how did no, it, it was just, it, it was just it was hard point fighting, you know. I mean, okay. we uh it wasn't full contact, this this was all before full contact. Obviously in those days we had no equipment, no gear, you know, just cup, you wear a protective cup. Some guys wear a mouth guard. And uh it was all bare knuckle and, and a lot of the tournaments in those days were actually on concrete floors. Helen Steen had a big tournament in Dallas, the US Invitational. Uh, at that time, one of the top three tournaments in the country, and, and all the sparring was right on bare concrete floors. That's just how it was. After after we made black belt, Jeff Smith, who was also on the team, uh, had an opportunity he, he, with Mr. Reed to go to Washington, D.C., and he did. He went out there and started teaching. Mr. Reed uh, had met and knew Jeff because Jeff was uh, head of a club that Mr. Reed was affiliated with down in Kingsville, Texas. That's how they became acquainted. And so Mr. Reed promoted Jeff Smith to Black Belt. He went to Washington, D.C. And about that same time, one of the other guys that was teaching for Mr. Reed went off on his own to open a school. And it left an opening. Jeff Smith thought about Pat Worley because Pat had beaten Jeff a couple of times in tournaments. So Jeff said, I knew if I got Pat to come to Washington, D.C., he'd make me better. So he's, he recommended Pat to go to Washington, D.C. And, and go to work for Junior Institute. Pat jumped at the opportunity, and I said, well, ask if there's another job, if there's another, if there's another place out there for, you know, for me. And I was about this time I was married and had a child. Actually, had two children by that point. So Mr. Reed called, and he said, well, John, I don't have a school available at this time. I said, well, Mr. Reed, if I, can, if I come out there, and I'll get a job doing something, you know, I'll, I'll wash dishes or, you know, dig ditches, whatever I need to do. If you'll just let me know that when the first opportunity for a job comes up, that I, I can have it. He said, you would do that? I said, yes, sir, I, I, I would. He said, well, gee, uh, okay. <laughs> so so I packed my, my family up in a car and we we drove to uh, Washington, D.C. By the time we got there, Mr. E had said, you don't have to worry about getting another job. I've decided to go ahead and open another school. And so he opened a school out in Annandale, Virginia. And my my first job when I got to Washington, D.C. was, you know, building the school, building the karate school. Oh, wow. I, it's so <laughs> fascinating how networking works in the karate world. Yeah. This guy beat me sparring. And so I'm going to make sure you come out and uh head up operations it, it, and it, actually i have something in common with you in that regard i also followed my brother in 2001 to washington dc at, at a whim i i packed up i live in colorado and uh i packed up my stuff and a week later was was in dc and didn't have a job he just said you know it's a big city and we're gonna figure it out and everything and it was actually September 11th, 2001. That's when I wow. 
the truck on Connecticut Avenue. But anyway, it, it, I I also just had a a passion to work at the Smithsonian, and and I just said anything you got, I will do it. And sure enough, it worked out, and I was there for five years. But it, so you built the first school, and where was that in the city? Uh, in Annandale, Virginia, just, okay. you know, just outside, out, out, just out of Fairfax. You, you I'm sure, realize, uh, having had a shared experience, what a great you know, opportunity for someone from Texas, who we'd hardly been out of the state of Texas at all, my wife and I, Patty, and to go to Washington, D.C., uh, which was just, you know, it's the, the center of the world, and and to to be have that experience, uh, you know, it just was mind expanding on so many different levels. We met so many different people, so many different cultures, and uh, it was just a wonderful time for us. As I mentioned, uh, at that time, I started training directly with Mr. Reed, and he would, I mean, he would. Um, he just basically just looked at us and said, "Oh, you guys got a lot of work to do." <laughs> and uh, so, we, but we we just jumped into it, did everything that he asked. Um, you know, worked as hard as we could to improve ourselves um, on every level that we could. And he he was such a, an inspirational leader that uh, it, it was it was just a joy really for us to be able to train with him and to you know watch what he did and and try to emulate everything that he did and, and everything that he taught us and his, you know he put a lot of a lot of training and you know, emphasis on you know philosophies and you know really what what martial art training was supposed to do for people beyond kicking punching and self-defense uh, so that was a, a great experience for us um, and we gained so much from that it was a, it was a, one of the most Really, one of the most enjoyable times of my life was the three and a half years that we spent in Washington D.C. That's amazing. And as a a young person, you were married, you're a father, and June Reed was at that time too, correct? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he yeah he had he had uh, he was married and had uh, I think let me kids today. I think he had two children at that time as well, young kids, uh, Jimmy and Mimi. And um, and Chinook, so he had three kids. But he just, you know, he kind of took us all under his under his wing and and helped us get established. You know, helped us. You know, I mean, I didn't have any furniture really to speak of, and, and so he co- he went out and co-signed at a furniture store for us to get some furniture and started to basically teach us everything that we need to learn. The first night I got there, this is before my wife came, and I went down there first for a short visit. And we were all out at his main school at 2000 L Street in downtown Minneapolis, downtown Washington, D.C. And we were fighting. Everybody was just you know, sparring and everything. And then afterwards, he said, let me let me see you sidekick. So I did what I thought was a pretty good sidekick. And he went, oh, I don't like your sidekick. <laughs> and so we were later, we went into this. We had He had a, a little uh, gym, a little health club. Connected to the school, and then he had saunas in there. We're all in there taking saunas, and he had me start. He started teaching me the mechanics of a sidekick. Well, he wanted it done. While we're in the sauna, uh, kind of a uh, (laughs) very embarrassing thing for me to have to try to do. (laughs) But but anyhow, I I made sure that I went back and started uh, immediately to improve my kicking ability to his uh, specifications. Oh, did it 
it made sense to you what he was talking about the the was it a body mechanics thing or yeah 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 it was just yeah I'd, I'd never learned anything about the mechanics of how a any kick you know was supposed to work and so you know he taught it with you know standing with your hand on the wall feet together knee up you know pivot elevate and, and then lock the kick out so it was like a straight line punch rather than sweeping you know kind of a sweeping kind of a side kick and uh, it all made perfect you know, sense. I mean, he, he, he was very analytical in everything that he taught and everything that he did himself and he trained. So everything we did, uh, you know, he would break it down to the very basic mechanics of what, you know, how you do this kick or how you do this, you know, this particular block and this, you know, this, this movement, this stance, everything was very, very structured. As I say, for, for Pat and me, it was, it was like starting over. It was like starting from scratch and, and, and learning all of that. So as we were teaching it, to people in the school, we were learning it ourselves, and we and to this very day in our schools in National Karate all around the all around the country, you know the mechanics that we teach from our classical basics and everything came directly from Junry. Today in our schools too, the students are learning the mechanics and the 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 physics of how to perform blocks and punches and lunge punches and axe kicks and everything and then they're also able to teach the black belt instructors are able to teach that as they learn to new students and it's just fascinating to me how the generations of new students working to earn a black belt how this has gone on in the june reed tradition 60 years is that about right that's about yeah that's about right yeah and it's true if you were to, I'm, I'm sure if you were to go into the june reed schools down in washington dc that you would see them doing and, and teaching and performing the mechanics pretty much the same as we because they they were all trained directly by june reed a lot of the guys that were you know that are still teaching down there uh, are still that, that had Mr. Ree's influence, Jeff Smith, uh, Michael Coles, uh, to name just a couple of guys. You know, they they were trained the same as we were, and so yeah, we we all share that. You know, the classical foundation for our martial arts. Now, you know, when you get up into other areas and you start, you know, developing your your curriculum, you know, at green belt and blue belt and red belt and brown belt, the forms and all of that, all of that, I'm sure, is, is much different now because we don't do the forms that we did when we were in Washington, D.C. We developed our own set of patterns. But but the class but the mechanics and the, the, the classical, you know, foundation for all of that came directly from June Reed. And he, he had really done a lot of things different than how he had been trained in, in his traditional Taekwondo training back in Korea. Because just like I say, the, just the, the kicking uh, on that one kick, the side kick, for example, he just he said that never made sense to him the way he had been taught. And so he went back and experimented with it, and, and he developed the kind of side kick that we all learned and trained with and now teach. And it, it's it's different, but in our opinion, it's the best way that you do, that you can do a sidekick. That's really interesting. I, I know Junri and Bruce Lee knew each other, trained together. Yep. And yep. It's, I think very well known that Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do philosophy is what you're saying. It, 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 well, I'm not sure if this is the traditional way, but I understand it differently. And this seems like it works and take what works and throw out what doesn't. Was Junri, it sounds like he had that mindset too. Yeah. You know, it's funny talking about Bruce Lee, um, you know, Mr. E and, and Bruce Lee were very, very good friends. 
and Bruce Lee, who came to Washington, D.C. while I was there uh, three different times, three different occasions. And we got to actually train with him. And I've got a picture in my office of Bruce Lee kicking me in the head. <laughs> and, oh. so, and so anyhow, he, uh, it, 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 what Bruce Lee would do, he would watch June Ree. Ministry used to do demonstrations. And then he would say, let me see you. Let me see your sidekick. And Mr. E would, you know, he had a, an amazing sidekick. And then, so Bruce Lee wouldn't say, you know, to show me how, or teach me how to do it. But he would just say, let me see yours. And then he would go and work on it. And then he would start doing it that way as well. So Bruce Lee was influenced by June Ree. And June Ree was influenced by, by Bruce Lee in some ways as well. But yeah, he was just, you know, he was, <laughs> as, as we all know, Bruce Lee you know, it was an amazing personality on top of everything else. So it was uh, it was quite the treat for us to be able to hang out and, and go to dinner with him and, and get out in the gym. And he would show us some stuff. He, he was just so explosive and so quick. He did something called the short punch. People have talked about, you know, the three-inch punch. Sure. Bruce Lee did. And uh, we had a guy that was one of our guys, was big guy, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and probably weighed 235. And Bruce Lee hit him with a short punch. It almost knocked him through the wall. I mean, it, it, he hit the wall so hard <laughs> that we, we, were, we were concerned that he had knocked him, knocked him right through the sheetrock. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, in, in, in your schools today, when you're demonstrating power, what are, how do you translate that, uh, what you're describing back in the 70s, to modern day classes where there might be 10 year olds, eight year olds, uh, their parents, things like that. Well, I mean, you know, you, we, we teach the same type of martial art training to our people today that, that I was teaching to people that many years ago. The, the, one of the main differences, of course, is it's much safer. You know, we're, we're all working on padded floors rather than carpeted concrete. You know, we have protective gear which we did not have and the protective gear when you, th you know which i think is, has gone farther than anything else ever to make the sport safer and to make it make it more appealing to people especially kids because they're padded up and they're not going to get hurt uh not nearly as easily mr Ree, as, as we all know was the the innovator and the the mind behind what you know what developing the protective gear that is now used worldwide. And he did that while we were there. My brother, Pat, who had uh, won Junry's Nationals one year and, and had, was really a great fighter, was ranked one of the top 10 black belt point fighters in, back in the 1972, I think, or 71. But anyhow, he was fighting after he had won that tournament. He was in a sparring match at a tournament. He got hit. Michael Warren was the guy that he was fighting one of the great fighters of all time, hit him with a spin hook kick and it shattered his cheekbone, broke his nose. And Pat was in the hospital for, you know, a week and had to be, you know, re recovery for six months. So after that, Mr. Reese said, that's, you know, we have to do something about that. It's just, you know, that's too dangerous. We have to do something. So he went out, started experimenting with foam rubber. He would go out and he bought a bunch of foam rubber, came in, he would take scissors and cut it up and he would, you know, put it all together with tape. And, he, and then he would bring in these, uh, these very crude hand and foot gear and put them on, put it, give them to us and say, okay, you guys go hit each other. 
<laughs> and so we were the, we were the crash test dummies for the uh, for, for the protective gear, and this was all about 1973, 72. And then actually, Pat and, and Jeff were the very first guys to ever wear protective gear in in competition. That kind of protective gear, the safety punch, safety chop, that then that became the standard for everybody all over the country and then eventually all over the world. In my mind, Junri was the most innovative martial artist who's ever lived. I believe that his his philosophies, uh, his innovations, you know, he, he's the one that started musical form. He's the one that basically invented musical form. We were there when that happened. What do you, I read a little bit about what you remember about that. He came in the school and he had a... Uh, a radio essentially under his yeah he had had a little tape player portable portable tape player and he had recorded the the theme to exodus the musical theme exodus and so he said here i've been working on this see what you think and so he started the music and he did the form and we were all just completely blown away i mean it, it was just beautiful you know i mean and he hadn't he hadn't said a word to us about doing it all he just it's just something that he said I believe this will really add a new dimension. And, you know, he, he wanted to call it martial ballet. And that really never caught on. But that was kind of how he originally presented it. But it was, yeah, I mean, we all just, we all said, Mr. E, this is going to be huge. People are going to love this. This is going to be, and, and obviously it's now, it's it's standard for everyone. Musical yeah. form. Just epic. I, it, it, I can't imagine having been in the room when he was debuting that. Um, it was it, it was it was a cool experience and, and one that I will never ever forget. I mean, literally had tears in my eyes watching this. You know, I mean, it just it was so impressive, and and his you know his his martial art ability was spectacular too. I mean, he was just a great martial artist. Everything he did was so clean and perfect, and. Uh, strong and so i mean he could he could you know he could whack a pad he could kick hard but just watching that and, and just knowing at that moment this is something that is going to change the you know the martial arts forever there was a photography spread in a, a news story in a washington publication 20 years ago maybe and it was members of congress in white geese in a room in the capitol building somewhere and they're performing exodus how how epic I, there's a, i read a story that you wrote about and you called it stick to your bush and it's about a experience with with grandmaster reed can you talk about what that meant to you or what well yeah he he uh there's always been a tendency for martial artists to you know want to either change alter expand uh, you know do something that Maybe they're not really qualified or, or trained to do to, because they get excited about it and they want to bring it into their particular training. And, you know, and some of those things have turned out great for people, you know, that they've expanded and added, you know, Krav Maga to their curriculum or, or something like that, for example. But Mr. E said that when he was a child, that he was a, he, he had a job and he, he was having to go and pick berries out of a field. And he said he was. They gave you a bag, and they paid you by how much you could, you know, how many, you know, how much you could produce, you know, how much you could bring in and, and produce. And he said he would watch people, and, and they would go, and they would pick from one bush, bush for a little bit, then they would 
run over and start over at a different bush and take a little while and then move and go to a different bush and they were running kind of all over the place. And he said, I would just stay with one bush until it was completely empty. Then I would go to the next one. And so he said, my, my advice then to you is stick to your bush. <laughs> so anytime we would think about bringing in something that was different or, or, you know, not really consistent with what we've been always been trained to do or whatever, as part of our curriculum, he would say, ah, stick to your bush. <laughs> yeah. And we did. <laughs> that, do you think that applies to training when it comes to um, learning curriculum, I, uh, learning one form, focusing on one form until you've really got it, got it down and, um, as best you can before moving on to another? Is it applied to that at all? I think it does that uh, on a smaller level, but I think more it's what he mainly was talking about was not feeling like you had to constantly be changing your curriculum or, you know, adding to your curriculum or, or, you know, adding to, you know, doing things that that weren't really natural to you uh, that, you know, you have to have faith in what you were doing, and we did. We believed very strongly in the curriculum that he taught us, and we didn't feel like we had the need to go out and have to add something else to it and add something else to it and add something else to it. So I think that was more really what he was uh, talking about. Uh, obviously, you know, we've all changed and altered and added things to our curriculum over the last 50 years, uh, which is fine, but it, but it never came quickly. Anytime we consider doing anything, when we when we added bow, you know, the bow to our curriculum, we thought about it for a long time, and we and we trained ourselves uh, to get to where we had some basic level of skill in it before we brought it out to the the students. You know, then we kind of eased it into our curriculum very very gently, <laughs> and of course, it's it's been something that's been very good for us. But it was it, we we thought we, we thought long and hard about it before we made any kind of decision to do that. Grandmaster Worley, I can't thank you enough for talking. This feels like it's gone by incredibly quickly. I'd love the chance <laughs> to have another conversation. Um, but uh, thank you so much for uh, talking about your memories and your history over the last 50 years in the martial arts. You're an incredible teacher, just a legend, and uh, it, it's our honor to hear from you today. Thank well, you're, you're very kind. I appreciate the, 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 the very kind words, and I hope that people enjoyed this. Uh, I just I want to just say in closing that uh, you know the the last 50 years in the martial arts in this country has been such a wonderful adventure for me and my family and and my brother Pat and, and all of our associates and our students and our black belts. Thank you for listening to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Find episodes and more at rippleeffectmartialarts.com.